Um, if you guys don't mind, if I may, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in um, and pray that I don't say anything crazy in that. <laughs> you, probably, you guys probably had a lot of awesome things, um, but I'm just going to go ahead and jump in if that's okay. Um, you know, no matter how many times I read the word, no matter how many times I study it, hear it preached, I've been a Christian for 22 years now. And it just seems to me that every time I come to the word, I realize that there's more to discover. That there's more to be revealed. And it's like you come to the word and it's like the word compels you to go deeper. It's like it beckons you to search the depths of its power and beauty to not be satisfied with yesterday's manna, but to ask for something fresh today, right? Something new. And as I've prepared for this passage, I felt this strong pull from the Holy Spirit to ask more questions, to look more deeply, to not be satisfied with my understanding from 10 years ago, right? I feel like this particular passage of the eunuch and, and Philip, it's very familiar. I mean, how many trainings in evangelism have you been in? And this passage was used. But the Lord's like, you need to look deeper. You need to ask more questions. And the truth is that we need to look at it with fresh eyes because there is a lot happening right now in our world. Right? We need to look at the word and consider it from the context that we're in right now. There's so much happening in our world, in our nation, right now. And if I can be honest, guys, it is more than I can handle. If I can be even more honest, it's more than I want to care about. <laughs> There's so much pain and death, loss, Injustice, lies, deceit, division, hate, apathy. And I just don't know if I can take anymore. And I just sense that even, even as I, I watch the news and I read through my Twitter feed, I just feel like I need to say, come Lord Jesus. Like, I don't know what else, I don't know how else to respond these days. But I just feel this, 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 welling up inside of me, and the only words that I can utter is, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Bring that scepter of justice. Make right every wrong. Come, 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 come. Please, please, Lord, come. So right before this passage, we skipped chapter 7, but I don't want to move on without uh, you know, setting it up for you because this, it, you know, chapter 7 does set up for us what, what's actually happening. And so you have Stephen, a man who in Scripture is described as full of grace and power, faith, and the Holy Spirit. And he, he gets into these arguments with synagogue leaders and teachers of the law, and they cannot stand his behind. Because no matter what they say, they cannot stand against the wisdom. This is what it says in Scripture, the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given him. They can't stand against it. And so they decide, well, we're just going to go ahead and just lie about you then. 
We're going to lie. We're going to make something up. We're going to stir the people up, and we're going to make all these false accusations and say that you were speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and they ask him, is what people are saying about you true? And then this brother proceeds to give them a history of the Jewish people. And he starts from Abraham all the way to Moses. And he ends by saying this, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. Well, they didn't like that very much. And so they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. It actually said that there was like gnashing of teeth. Like, I, I just can't imagine this picture. Like, he's preaching this sermon and people are like, there's like gnashing of teeth. They're just angry. They're just yelling and screaming just out of their minds. Like, can you imagine the terror? Like, and then they just seize him. It says that they seize him and they drag him out. But it says that the whole time it says that the heavens opened, he saw the glory of the Lord. And this is where our passage picks up the story. And we see that up to this point, the center of the church of Jesus had been in Jerusalem. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, there's massive growth and favor, and people were coming to faith. They were sharing all their possessions. There were signs and wonders that followed the apostles. The sick were being healed. People tormented by impure spirits were being set free. It was incredible. I mean, that's kind of where we've been uh, in the past seven chapters, seeing this amazing growth, this, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But where in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem. All of this has been taking place in Jerusalem. And I just think to myself, what happened to the mandate? What happened to go make disciples of all nations? What happened to that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you, you will receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem? Yes. But also Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What happened? And I can't help but wonder if in the midst of all that preaching, teaching, storytelling, all that sharing and healing, that maybe there was a little bit of disobedience. Just a little bit. Obviously, they, they were seeing favor. The Lord was producing much fruit, but, but they stayed still in Jerusalem. They had a good thing going. People were being added to their numbers, but they were not supposed to remain there. That's not where it was supposed to end for the church. And so Stephen is killed. Chaos breaks out. The church is scattered. People are having to uproot their lives, their families in search of safety. Families are being separated. Men and women are being dragged out of their homes and put in prison. There's mourning, there's violence, there's unrest. And they begin experiencing a persecution and oppression unlike any they had encountered up to that point. However, even though the church is being scattered, what does the word say? 
the word of God is still being preached. The word of God is still being preached. There's violence, there's unrest, families being separated, there's mourning, weeping, but the word is still being preached. And we see in this passage that finally, finally someone goes to Samaria. Finally, Philip begins proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah in a city in Samaria. Now guys, hear me. I do not believe that God was okay with the persecution of his people. I do not think he was okay with that, with families being separated, people thrown in jail with so much uh, disturbing, traumatic experiences. I don't think he was okay with that. But I do wonder, is it possible? Is it possible? I'm not going to say yes or no right now. That that's left for us to determine ourselves. But is it possible that because of his unabating love and pursuit of the world, he allowed persecution to come? Is that possible? That God allowed persecution to come, forcing them to leave the sense of control, safety, and comfort of Jerusalem so that the word would reach the ends of the earth? Is it possible? We see the Holy Spirit comes and he leads Philip down this desert road where he comes upon the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, guys, I've read this passage a lot, studied it, it's been preached. But I think something that I had not under understood before when reading this passage was the grace that God was extending, not just towards the eunuch, but to Philip and the church. There was grace being extended to the eunuch, but also to Philip and to the church. Because this is the thing. God didn't just wait for his church to obey the mandate to pursue the world. He brings the world to the church. God did not wait for his people to obey the mandate to pursue the world. He brought the world to the church. In his grace, he gets them back on track. He reminds them of their call and purpose to make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't know why the apostles stayed so long in Jerusalem. I don't know, but I do know that here we see God move heaven and earth to orchestrate the introduction of the gospel to the whole continent of Africa. Heaven and earth. He is just reordering, sorting, doing other things because the, the continent of Africa must hear the gospel. And so if they were unwilling to go, he said, well, I'll bring you, I'll bring Africa to you. So Philip runs up to the Ethiopian eunuch who is on his way home after worshiping in Jerusalem. And he hears him reading a passage in Isaiah. And this is the, the, the part of the passage that he hears. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch responds, how can I 
How can I unless someone explains it to me? That's so powerful, isn't it? How can I? No one has ever explained it to me before. How can I understand it? And man, I just feel like this is the ideal scenario for anyone doing evangelism, right? Like, please, can somebody at the mall just be with the word open? I just go up to them, and they're like, can you please tell me what this means? I mean, good Lord, that would be nice. This passage is usually preached from the context of evangelism, but again, I hear the Holy Spirit say, look deeper, look deeper, ask more questions. Who is this Ethiopian eunuch? What is his status in society as a eunuch? What was the significance of him going to Jerusalem to worship? Why was this particular passage in Isaiah meaningful? And what we do know about the eunuch from this passage is that he is educated. He's reading, right? That was not commonplace. But he's reading. He is wealthy. He is the chief of treasury to the, the chief of treasurer, treasury, I'm not a native speaker, chief of treasury to the queen of the Ethiopians and has the means to make a long trip from his country to Jerusalem. He's wealthy. He's educated. He's wealthy. He is probably a Jewish proselyte, and that is why he's going to Jerusalem to worship. He is curious, he is hungry to learn about a God that he worships, but he does not know. He wants to learn about a God that he worships, but he does not know. So what does all of that mean? What, 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 what is the Holy Spirit revealing to Philip right now? Because we know that the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal a revelation of Jesus to the eunuch. We know that. But what is the Holy Spirit revealing to Philip, to the church, to us, through this Ethiopian eunuch, through this encounter? Eunuchs were typically boys or men, often slaves or prisoners of war that were castrated in order to serve royalty. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were typically, uh, they were often slaves and prisoners of war. I didn't know that. And they were castrated, forced to serve royalty. And this is the thing. The law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus actually excluded eunuchs from the assembly of the Lord. It was written in the law. And they were barred from participation in temple rituals. They could not participate in the life of the Jewish community due to the imposed injuries on them. And yet this Ethiopian eunuch takes a long, dangerous, and arduous journey to Jerusalem. And you know what? He probably did this a couple of times a year. And it did not matter that this particular eunuch was a royal official because you know what? He was not allowed to sit inside the temple. You know where he had to be? With the lepers. This educated, wealthy servant to, a royal, to royalty, to the queen of Ethiopia was meant to, to, to stand outside of the temple with lepers. Lepers! Because he was seen as unclean as well. And yet somehow he was satisfied with that. 
He was satisfied with just being on the outskirts, just to be in proximity to God and his holiness, to be in the shadow of the temple. He was okay with that. He could not understand the law. You know why? Because he'd never heard it taught. Because he wasn't allowed in the temple. He'd never heard it taught. And not only that, no one else had pursued him to teach him. He didn't know because he wasn't allowed to be in the temple and because no one cared to teach him to begin with. I think as a woman, as a Latina, I, I, I understand the marginalization of this eunuch. I feel, I feel just the, 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 the sadness that I imagine he felt. But I think that love for God that curiosity, that hunger was just so deep, so strong that he didn't care. He didn't care that everyone knew that he didn't fit. He didn't belong. He didn't care. He was going to go, even if he could just be this close, just a little close to God. And so the, the apostles are hesitant to leave their home and their family to go to the ends of the earth. But this, this unit leaves everything. So they're hesitant to leave their comfort. I don't know, maybe they didn't feel the urgency of needing to go spread the gospel. Maybe they were overwhelmed with the demands of the church in Jerusalem. And yet, in contrast, this Ethiopian unit leaves people, culture, customs, his safety, and risks his life just to be near God. His devotion, his sacrificial pursuit of God, his faith, Courage, especially considering his societal position in Ethiopia, is inspiring. It is inspiring. It is amazing. And you know what it reminds me of? When Jesus responded to the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, and he says, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. That's what this Ethiopian unit reminds me of. And as desperately as the Ethiopian eunuch needed Philip to explain the passage in Isaiah and share the gospel of Jesus, because he needed, he needed Philip to come and to make sense of it all. He needed that. But you know what? Philip needed the Ethiopian eunuch too, to show him the power of the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. He needed that. He needed that encounter. Philip needed to see that with his eyes, to see that the gospel will will reach, will go as far as it needs to go in order that every single person has the opportunity to respond. You know what, what amazes me about this too, that, see, colonization did not bring Christianity to Africa. The, the church in Africa was not a product of European missionary work. God had been in pursuit of the African peoples long before Europeans made landfall on African soil because there was already a purpose and a calling on the African church, and it started with this Ethiopian eunuch. So I want to bring this closer to home. In our manifesto, if you read it, if you haven't, you should. We have a value for the whole world. That's one, one of our 18 values. 
And part of the manifesto says, while we understand that our most transforming ministry will take place where we are planted and in our own city, we commit ourselves to the mission of God to reach the whole world. So we know that the work, no, each one of you, the work that you're doing in your city right now, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, it is the most transforming ministry that will take place in your life right now, as long as you're called to it. It is. But we have to hold in tension also the needs of the world. And the manifesto also says that we accept this apostolic mandate to send and be sent into every part of the world and our place in partnership with the global church. Now, some of us are called to leave our Jerusalem. Some of you are called to leave your home and to go to the ends of the earth where the gospel needs to be preached, where there are people who have a hunger and a curiosity for the things of God and they need a revelation of Jesus. Some of you are called to do that. But for those of us who remain, I think we need to open our eyes and see how the Holy Spirit has brought the world to our doorstep. We need to open our eyes. We live in the richest nation in the world, and you know what? Many people are making the long and dangerous journey, leaving behind family, culture, customs, what's familiar to come to this country. Many of them are fleeing violence and persecution, abject poverty to find a better life here in the U.S. However, some of them are coming here because the Holy Spirit is leading them here to preach the gospel to us. How will we welcome them? How will we welcome the global church who is sending missionaries to our white supremacist, patriarchal, misogynistic, money-driven, America-first nation? Because they are. You don't think they're watching the news too and they see what's happening here. The land of the free, the brave and the free. And they're like, really? They see that there's a need for the gospel to be preached to us. And so I asked this morning, what prophetic word has the Holy Spirit given the African church? What prophetic word has the Holy Spirit given the Latin American church? What prophetic word has the Holy Spirit given the Asian church to challenge us, the multi-ethnic American church? What word has God given them to come to us and to bring that, to challenge us, to cause us to confess, to repent, to surrender? Let me go ahead and invite up the worship team. Right now, there is a caravan and it is making its way through Mexico and it is heading towards the US. And the narrative that is circulating in our nation is that this caravan is full of violent predators ruthless gang members, drug dealers, criminals, and terrorists. And Trump has declared this caravan a national emergency. And he has sent nearly 8,000 troops to the U.S. and Mexico border. And you know what? 15,000 could potentially be sent. 
You know what? I reject and rebuke in the name of Jesus that lie that that caravan is full of violent predators and criminals and drug dealers and terrorists. I reject that lie in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And this is the thing. I'm not saying that they are all meek and mild, innocent, and coming with only the best of intentions. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that each one of them was created in the image of God. What I do know is that some are coming for political asylum. Some are coming for work to start a new life. But then there are others that are actually being sent here in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and bring a prophetic word to this nation. And my question is, how will we respond? How will we fight and pray on their behalf to ensure their safe arrival, to ensure that what God has spoken is accomplished? How will we respond? What will we do? Our value for the whole world isn't just about going into all the nations. That's a part of it. And there are some of you who have been running away from that call and the Lord is saying, you need to follow me. Don't wait any longer. So some of you, that is a clear call. And the Lord is saying to you, you need to go. You need to get up and go. You will always be dissatisfied as long as you're here because you're not meant to be here. You're meant to be somewhere else. But our value for the whole world is also about welcoming the foreigner, the stranger into our home, our churches, our city, our schools, and honoring the calling and purpose on their lives. To seek out the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic gifts that they bring to edify the dying church in America. Because I guarantee you, on that caravan, there are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are teachers, and there are shepherds. People with a destiny and a calling on their lives. They may be poor. They may not be educated. They may not have anything. But I promise you, they have a call on their lives. I promise you that. We need them. We need to be saved. I mean, again, if you just look at the news. Gosh, we need a prophetic word to come from outside of this nation. People say, God bless America. We need God to redeem, heal, and liberate America. We need to bring America to its knees in repentance and surrender. We need the global church to send missionaries here. Here, so that we can partner with them to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that we can learn from them, be taught and led by them, have a deeper revelation of Jesus from their perspective and their experiences. And this is the thing, guys. We, in this community, we have said yes to that call to love and care for the poor, to advocate on their behalf. To not just preach the gospel, but also to meet people's physical needs. Spiritual, physical needs. But you know what? We do that and, 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 and we, we, we provide shelter. We'll, we'll provide food and clothing. We'll make sure that people will have a community. We'll do that. But what we also need to do is to pull up a chair to the table and say, you need to come and lead us. We also need to do that. It can't just be about us serving and giving. We also need to make a way for them to teach us. 
for us to listen and hear them. So before we share communion this morning, I want to read a poem to you. And this is a poem in honor of the church in the global south. A poem in honor of those of us who are children of the global south. The first, second, third generation. This poem is titled Brown Church. And it's by this incredible activist professor, seminary professor named Robert Chow Romero. So if you want to close your eyes, you can, but I just invite you to listen to this prophetic poem. Again, it's titled The Brown Church. I am the brown church. God calls me Mija, Mijo. Brown, black, white, even yellow are all within me. When black and white come to talk, my voice is not heard. I am not invited to the table. I share much with my black sisters and brothers, yet my voice is distinct. I long and cry out to be heard for who I am, the brown church. Yo soy Montesinos gritando in 1511, the conquest is opposed to Christ. Y Bartolomé de las Casas, whose eyes like Moses were open to the suffering of his people and never looked back. Yo soy Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, and my heart burns for the treasures of wisdom which are hidden in Christ. Though machismo assails me, aunque está bloqueado el camino, I do not relent. Yo soy Catarina de San Juan, la China Poblana. Stolen from Asia, enslaved by the Spanish masters, I find freedom as the bride of Christ. I too hold the keys of the kingdom. Yo soy Padre Antonio Martinez de Nuevo México. Aunque robaron a Atzlan, I know no nation holds a manifest destiny to decimate the people of another, also beloved of God. In the time of Jim Crow, they called me wetback, beaner, spick, and sent me to Mexican schools. Yet I am Mendez, Bernal, Perales, Calleros. My children are not cows. You cannot place them in a barn. Yo soy Mama Leo y Santos Elizondo, mujeres forged in tongues of fire. Nadie me detendrá, el Espíritu del Señor está sobre mí. I am Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez. I was raised in the bosom of Abuelita theology and know that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of God. Unos años después, mis primos huyeron la tierra madre, the land of the Savior, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, Centroamérica, Argentina, Peru, Bolivia, Brasil, y al resto del Suramérica. Empujando por el huracán de violencia, guerrillas, Reagan, priests, all vied for me, yet on Christ my eyes were fixed. I am Gutierrez, Baf y Romero. Ya sé que el reino de Dios trae liberación, que el Espíritu nos libera. Como protestantes, we also protested. Porque la ropa anglosajón strangled la buena nueva. 
soy Padilla y Escobar recobrando la misión integral del Señor, yo soy las dos alas del mismo pájaro puertorriqueño, new yorican cubano y dominicano también and though the colonizers have changed the cries of las casas still ring strong in my ears I am a dreamer indocumentado sin papeles no human being is illegal no human being is illegal. Jesus es mi refugio. I am a child of God. I now seek my voice, thoughts of God, my own. I also am among the twelve. God calls me mijo, mija. I am the brown church. As this morning, before we take communion, I just feel compelled for us to pray for the men and the women and the children on this caravan. I just feel like we need to ask for the safety, for the, 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 the fortress of Jesus to, to surround them, to protect them, to bring them here, to ask Jesus to send them to our city when they come to Tampa. Would some of them hear the voice of God say, go to Tampa? You need to go to Tampa. Can we pray? Can we ask for Jesus to protect them, to guide them, to fill them with courage, peace, hope? Pray that their apostolic, evangelistic, prophetic, shepherding and teaching gifts would awaken and be activated and used for the building up of the church. Can we ask for that? So actually, I, I want to ask if there are maybe two or three of you that would pray out loud on behalf of the people on this caravan for those that God is sending. Can we do that and let us join you? And so two or three, would you pray out? Yes. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For whenever you eat this cup and drink, you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whenever you're ready, I invite you to come and receive the body and the blood of Jesus given for you.